Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. He is risen. I didn't hear that. Do you know you're supposed to respond? That is, he is risen. He is risen and indeed. Thank you. That's better. You'll get another chance later. So, I appreciate Sam reading from Isaiah 53. Last week we had parts of Isaiah 52 and 53 read. <clears throat> and they, those passages were written 800 years before it took place. 800 years before the Messiah, Christ, was on the cross. They were telling us, uh, in part, what you saw in the video lead-in um, just now, that uh, the crucifixion and, and the torment that Jesus was going to suffer for you and for me. I thought it was interesting. I heard recently, um, I think the video clips that we've been showing are from the movie The Passion of Christ. I think that's what it's from. Whether it is or not, um, a guy named Mel Gibson, you might have heard of him. I don't know him personally, but um, he was a director of that movie. And I read that uh, recently that he said when he came to the part, and you probably saw it, where they were putting the spike through the hands of, the, of our Lord, um, Mel Gibson said he insisted that he be the model who they used his hands for that and he said the only reason why he wanted that was, he said, because it was for me that Christ died on the cross. I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know Mel Gibson, don't know much about him, uh, but I, I think that part was pretty neat. Good news is that even though he could have easily done it, Jesus elected not to avoid the cross. And when he was on a cross, he could have simply walked off of it if he wanted to, but he elected not to do that because he paid for our sins. And he went through it all just for us. For the last 2,000 years, Christians have woken up Easter morning with the joy in their hearts knowing that Christ is risen. But it wasn't that way that first Easter morning or even that weekend as his disciples had a much different attitude than what you and I have today. They had been going through the very difficult time of grieving. The one they had put all their hope and faith and trust in had been crucified, taken away from them. And they probably felt hopeless, helpless. It was very, very difficult. Late that Friday uh, afternoon before the Sabbath began, some of the women prepared some anointments and they, spices and they came to minister to the body of Christ. And then again, early Sunday morning, they uh, packaged it up together to come and to anoint his body. But the time in between had to be confusing and frustrating and, and hurtful and just terrible time for all of them. 
Mark tells us in chapter 16, verse 1, about those who came to anoint the body of Christ that morning. He said there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome. Scripture tells us about different women who were involved uh, in that weekend of ministering to and for Christ. And the last thing they had on their mind was that when they went to the, to the tomb, the last thing they thought was, the body may not be there. <laughs> they never suspected that. They, they could have, maybe from the teaching, but I don't think anybody was getting it, that that body was not going to be there. When they got there, it had to be very confusing to them. The stone was rolled away. First of all, this massive stone, who could do that? It was guarded by Roman soldiers. How in the world did this happen? That was pretty confusing in itself. And when they looked in, the body was gone. Now, the, the grave clothes were there in place as if someone was in them, but the body wasn't there. And, um, and then there were these men or angels that were sharing different things. Uh, I, I don't do this every year, but I know I've done it before. But I think these are some of my favorite phrases in Scripture. These are some of the greatest things. It's changed my life, and it's changed my eternity, and I think it does that for you as well. Matthew 28, 6, he's not here. He has risen, just as he said. That's amazing. You're looking for Jesus of Nazarene, who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Those are some of the greatest words that have ever been uttered. I, I trust you know that and believe that with all your heart. <clears throat> John chapter 20, which I'm going to read to you some of the verses from verses 1 through 9, tells us, I love the John account, and I go there often, uh, for this, but it tells us some really good background and interesting data of what took place. Here's how it goes, John 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to raise, rise from the dead. Now, just to help you out, the, the reference here to the other disciple is John doing a very normal... Um, style of writing where he's not talking about himself all the time. It's him. It's John. So it was John and Peter. John was younger and uh, 
I don't think John was being funny. I, I like I look at things as funny, but John John wasn't being funny. But John a couple times mentions how he passed Peter. <laughs> that was probably a, a little bit of a proud moment for him. Peter was older, John was younger, more athletic. He ran and beat him there. But I think John did what I would have done, and that is. I would have got to the open tomb, I would have stooped down, bent down as low as I could, and I would have peeked in to see what's going on. But I would have never gone in. <laughs> I would have been way too freaked out, too scared to do that. And John did, he stayed outside. Peter zipped past John eventually, days later, no, not days later, but a little bit later, Peter showed up, went right into the tomb. I think the best explanation I had ever heard as to why Peter was bold and went right on in was a guy named Mike Prinovich. About three or four decades ago, I heard him say that the reason Peter went in was because he had denied Christ and Jesus had promised him that he was gonna be forgiven, that he had a place in heaven for him and Peter had to make sure that that was true. And then he ran in there because he wanted to know, am I really, really forgiven? I, I really do think that's what Peter was thinking. It had to have been. John then eventually went in as well. And John said, as soon as I saw those grave clothes laying there in perfect form, but no body in it. By the way, if there would have been grave robbers, you know, somebody just stealing whatever, I have no idea why they would do that. But if they did, they probably would not have very neatly and carefully worked to get the body out of the, I mean, they couldn't have done that. It was impossible. This was part of the miracle of Christ raising from the dead. And so uh, John and Peter have experienced, so they saw the empty tomb. They had all the evidence, an absent body, the, the burial clothing, all of that was there, the evidence of a resurrection. But at this moment, it had not changed their lives yet because they needed a meeting with the living Christ. They needed to have a confrontation and an interaction with Jesus, just like you and I we can have all the intellectual information, we can have all the knowledge, all the experiences, but until we meet Jesus Christ personally, and we come to him in repentance from our sins, and we acknowledge him as the Lord of our lives, then we don't have the resurrection in us. Goes on to tell us in John chapter 20 about some of the experiences, particularly Mary Magdalene. I'm not going to read everything to you. You're welcome to read it later on. But Jesus appears alive to many people after this. On that first day, that first Sunday alone, the scriptures have five different times where it tells us that Jesus uh, came and appeared to other people. The first one, and I have these in your bulletin, in John 20 here, uh, Mary Magdalene, Jesus comes. And that is significant that she was the first one. First of all, uh, for you and I in the 21st century to realize in a culture that 
basically suppressed women as property, Jesus elevates them by being the very first person he shows himself to as a woman. The other thing too is, if you're living in the first century Israel and you're making up a fairy tale and you want people to believe it, the last thing you would say is that he appeared to a woman because no one would have believed that at all. That was just not what would have happened in their day and age, but that's what Jesus did. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. In uh, Matthew 28, 9 and 10, it tells that there were other women as well that he appeared to. This is interesting. In Luke 24, 34, it tells us that he appeared to Simon, to Peter. And it just says the fact. I have no idea when exactly that happened in the daytime. I don't know where Peter was at. Why was he alone? Or was he alone? Maybe there were others there too. It just mentions Peter. I don't know what they talked about or what happened. We know nothing. We just know the fact that it happened. And Luke 24 also tells us about um, the two gentlemen, disciples that were leaving Jerusalem, heading toward Emmaus. And Jesus joins up with them and appears to them and spends a good amount of time with them traveling and then sits in and has dinner with them before somehow he cloaked himself as far as their being able to know who he was until he gives the blessing for the food and then all of a sudden that's Jesus and that was him. And then uh, also he appears after that later in the evening on that Sunday uh, in the room where the disciples were gathered and everything was locked up. They were scared silly of the Jews and what could happen. They just crucified the, the Lord of the universe. What are they going to do to us as his followers? And they were scared and Jesus appears before them. Uh, we don't know. We like to think that he passed through the wall. Maybe he got beamed in. I don't know what. He materialized somehow, but he was there. And uh, Jesus five times that day appeared to different individuals. Overall in scripture, it records at least 11 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. And if you start adding up all the people that are mentioned, we're talking about 650 to 675 people who had seen Jesus alive. And that's a conservative estimate because that one group of 500 may have just included the men and, and there could have been additional women and children as well. There's two supreme facts that we know about the Christian faith. These things are what you and I stand on and they are very, very important. And that is, he became dead and he is alive. <clears throat> he became dead because he paid for our sins. He was the sacrifice that God the Father demanded. It's been all through Scripture that uh, remission or payment of sins comes through the blood. And God demanded a blood sacrifice for sin. Jesus gave that. And he did that. Him being the Son of God, being God himself, was able to give and cover all of our sins. If you or I were going to be to give up our life, we could give up our life maybe for someone else. But he was God. He could give it up for everybody. And he paid for our sins. But don't stop there. Because he is alive. And when he came out of the grave, he defeated death. He defeated sin. And he made it possible for us to live forever as well. 
I said his death is different. His death is different because the, through the cross he paid for sins. There was a purpose to his death. There was going to be an end result that was very good. You and I have friends and loved ones that pass away, and that's painful, and it's hard, and, and we regret that. We don't want that. Um, knowing what Christ accomplished, we would never ask for that to come back. We know that he had a, a great purpose, and his death was different. His death was different because others have suffered death, but he achieved it. It was his will, his desire. He came specifically to die. He's the only person ever that was born with the entire purpose of, I'm going to die. That's why I'm being born. Everybody else, all of us, were born with, uh, with love intentions and, and relationships. And his was to die for sin. His death was different because to others, death frustrates your work. It interrupts. And all of us have situations where it's like, boy, I hope I don't die before I finish this, or I hope I don't die with this sitting around, or, or whatever. I gotta clean up the office, or whatever I need to do. Um, we all feel that way. But his was different, because his death consummated his work. On the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. And that was not a statement of defeat. That was an extreme shout of victory. That word uh, that was used, that he used in the Greek for it is finished, just one word, uh, it basically means to, to uh, make a payment in full. You had a bill, you paid it off, they stamped it, paid in full. That's what it means. It could have meant, you know, you finished the job you were starting. Uh, or sometimes it was used of an artist who was doing a masterpiece and they finally finished it and it's all good and great. Um, that's what it means. And the master completed the masterpiece of salvation for you and I. People die. Uh, that happens. They can't help that. Oh, that's not what I wanted yet. But Jesus willed himself to die. He laid down his life, he gave up his spirit, and he became dead. In Revelation he said, I became dead, but behold, I'm alive. Death was not able to hold him. His death was not a martyr, martyrdom, but it was an atoning sacrifice for all of us. And at the cross, men were made free from their sins. He set the captives free. You and I can rejoice because Christ is alive and he will be alive forever. He's alive with his people and he's alive forever in heaven. A few years ago, I offered a, a pop quiz. I'm going to offer it again. You can answer this in your head, not out loud. Don't raise a hand or anything. I'll know you got it right because I'll see your bubble thoughts. But um, here's the pop quiz. What do Buddha... Confucius, Mohammed, Joseph Smith, and Karl Marx all have in common. I can see those thoughts, you're getting them right. Good for you. Um, because their graves can all be marked with a sign outside that says, occupied, but not Christ. Christ is the only tomb that is empty. He arose on the third day, just as he said he would. And that empty tomb authenticates who he is. 
and what he's done and the victory that he's bought for us. The Old Testament, which we've read and, and heard and, and several other parts, have anticipated that there's going to be a Messiah, that he's going to make the sacrifice, and that he's going to raise from the dead. Some of those predictions were written a thousand or more years in advance, and they all come together in the person of Christ. No one else in history can have that painted of them that they fulfilled those Old Testament prophecies, just Christ. And there's joy in that victory. Christ had the great joy in his triumph. Sin and death had been conquered. The price had been paid. God's righteousness and his demands for righteousness have been satisfied. And he is alive and reigning on the throne today. <coughs> Jesus' enemies had done the best. They'd done their best, or was it their worst? But in one swell of emotion, he swept it aside, and his majestic will reigned supreme. I said this earlier, I'll give you a chance. He is risen. Thank you. Isn't that true? Isn't it great that we can say that? We should say that every day. It's such a wonderful, wonderful message. And his joy inspires us with joy as well. It turns away our sorrow because our grieving over sin and death is over, because we have the victory as well. At first, the resurrection meant life and victory over the grave, and that's good. But in the long run, it also meant for Jesus, his glory and his triumph over everything. The resurrection means so much. It means that Christ is Lord and has won the victory. It means that we now have a standing before God. It means that we now can have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the finished victorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because Jesus did rise from the dead, we need to consider what that means for us personally. Our greatest peace is with God. We have victory over our worst enemies, sin and death. And that comes only through Christ, through his atoning death, resulting in peace with our Heavenly Father and the gift of eternal life that can come from him. Because Jesus conquered death, we have the victory over the grave. Nothing is too dead for him to revive. Speaking about the um, resurrection and the evidence of what was there in the, in the tomb, um, a former pastor named Ray Stedman said this, no one has ever been able to explain the empty tomb. If the enemies of Christianity had stolen the body, they would have readily produced it to prove that Jesus was indeed dead. And it would have been impossible for Jesus' friends and followers to steal the body because their Roman guards uh, were stationed at the tomb and, and the tomb was sealed. And I agree, he is absolutely right. That's where it comes in, the empty tomb is proof that he is the Son of God. And therefore, today, 2,000 years later, um, after all of that has been established, 
the most important thing now in relationship to the resurrection of Christ is where that stands in your heart and mind and your relationship with Jesus. He told his disciples that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Peter got that message, and ultimately, um, when he started preaching early in the book of Acts, he said, there is no name under heaven given by which men can be saved. Jesus is the way, there's no other way. Jesus is the truth, anything else is non-truth. Jesus is the life, he is eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, how we do thank you for the life that you can give to us through our risen Savior, crucified, yes, paid for our sins, absolutely. Everything is covered. There's nothing that we need to do except believe on him, trust him for our salvation, our eternal destiny, and yet risen in power, uh, conquering the grave, showing many proofs of that, being seen by hundreds and hundreds of witnesses that it is true and giving eternal life for all who would believe in him. God, I pray for each one here that we would be settled in our relationship with you, knowing that you died for us, you paid for our sins. We can trust you, Jesus, with our eternity. It's only through you that we can achieve our life's goal of being in heaven forever. So God, I just pray that each one of us will walk out of here knowing for sure that we have Christ as our Savior and that he is the only reason that we can deserve entrance into heaven. And then God, I just also pray that each one of us can grow in that and grow in our peace, grow in our trust, grow in our strength in you and, and what we do to bring glory to your name. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.